This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here, and welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat, here to talk about the rivalry game with Florida this week, some of the other action around the SEC, some thoughts uh, about the field storm, and I've been I've been very uh, very clear on this, where I stand on this, the field storming tradition, bad tradition, you know, things change, right? It's very dangerous out there. When you got that many people storming the field at once, bad things can happen, especially now you're selling alcohol in the stadium. You got to consider uh, the, the just the amount of emotion that's going through everyone's body, the fans that want to celebrate, the losing team going off. I mean, this could be, uh, you know, there, there's the potential for some real tragedy. And there have been some tragic things that have happened. So I guess I would start by that. I don't think you're in danger of seeing anybody storm the field at Georgia, but certainly if someone were to upset Georgia at a Mississippi State or a Kentucky, you know, you'd, you'd like to think Coach Smartness players could get off the field safely because we're seeing it more and more. LSU stormed the field last week, the week before Tennessee, uh, Alabama, and obviously Jermaine Burton got wrapped up in a situation there. So uh, I want to start out just by saying that I, I got a strong feeling about that. I think this is something that you're going to see more legislation on. And the penalties right now, I believe it's 250000 for a third offense, 100000 for a second offense, not enough to dissuade some of these schools. There needs to be some stronger uh, rules in place. And there needs to be some better security, in my opinion. So just kind of my thoughts about that. Not trying to be grumpy, not trying to say don't have fun. But I just think you've got to look at the day and age that we're in and, you know, just, you know, kind of where our society's at and the, the types of things that are happening. You want to protect fans from student athletes. We want to protect student athletes and the coaches from the fans. So Alabama bounced back last week, a 30 to six win over Mississippi state at home. Mike Leach gets a touchdown last play of the game. That's first touchdown he's had on Saban in three years. And, you know, just kind of got his number. I think that bodes well for Georgia. Georgia plays at Mississippi state a little bit later this year. I've got a story up on dog nation where I rank the remaining games in terms of most difficult to least difficult. Mississippi State somewhere in the middle there, you know, Starkville's kind of out there, you know, I see a lot of stars in the sky, it is very remote and a very unique environment, I don't believe Georgia's played there since 2010, so uh, a different, different game, further down the line, obviously this week Georgia will be focused on Florida, but uh, it is an interesting race, LSU knocking off Old Miss and now LSU when they play Alabama in a couple of weeks, the same time Georgia and Tennessee playing there, what about five uh, excuse me, about 3.30 p.m., I'm guessing the LSU game might be a night game now with Alabama, could determine the SEC West. So keep an eye on that after Brian Kelly's LSU Tigers come from behind and take Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin out of the ranks of the unbeaten. Went into last weekend with nine unbeaten teams. I believe there's six left. So uh, the week ahead, you know, to listen in to Kirby Smart today on the injury front, want to give you some updates on the Bulldogs injuries. Smile Munden, very talented inside linebacker. We believe he's going to be back for this game. That's big. Smile had a, an ankle, uh, I believe, against Missouri. Uh, didn't get to see him last week, but this is a really talented player. Um, that, that makes a difference on that defense. So that's big. Jalen Carter, Kirby's not sure. He did say Jalen's ankle is, is feeling good. Jalen was hurt on the first play of the season against Oregon and, uh, you know, was able to gut that out and play on adrenaline, as Kirby said, but came back and then injured his knee. And that's kind of what they're looking at right now is the sprained MCL on the knee. Not sure what Jalen Carter's status for this game is going to be, or Tennessee for that matter. Uh, those sprained knees can be tough. You know, Jalen re-injured it. 
believe in the in the uh, Missouri game uh, a few weeks ago. So that's one to keep an eye on. A.D. Mitchell, that was a high ankle sprain in week two. I told you that. Kirby confirmed that today. Uh, I believe A.D. is going to be back. Everything I've heard is that A.D. Mitchell is trending towards being back this week. We have seen Lad McConkey play through an ankle and a foot. Uh, I think Lad looked a little bit more like himself in the Vanderbilt game. And I think Lad's going to be ready. He had a few days off last week to rest that foot. So I think you're going to be back up to speed on the perimeter. I think that's important. I think that's going to lead to some big plays for Stetson Bennett. Uh, Kendall Milton is a guy that Kirby Smart said had some non-contact work last week. He's expected to be full go uh, on Monday uh, as well as Tuesday. We'll see where Kendall's at come game time, but I think this is a player that, that Kirby Smart wants to count on. Kendall can provide a big lift. A healthy Kendall Milton uh, could provide a big lift. And, and I think I do think Dejon Edwards has played well in Branson Robinson, but, but Kendall Milton at his best, um, very effective runner, particularly near the goal line, very powerful runner, gets behind his pads, worked a lot to improve as a pass catcher. He's also very good at protection. So it's a difference between having three scholarship running backs available and four scholarship running backs available. And with this stretch run coming up, whether it's Florida, Tennessee, at Mississippi State, at Kentucky, Georgia Tech, I think you need all four of those scholarship running backs. So it was kind of interesting to hear Kirby Smart talk about the Gators today and Anthony Richardson, a, a player with a big upside. You've seen him projected as a first-rounder. Um, he's just a first-year starter. He has had his struggles, um, but he's also played really well at times. Kirby today saying, look, this is a guy that he's had better runs than some running backs, and this is a guy who goes 60, 70 yards on you on the ground you got to be really careful. Now, the Gators don't have the sort of perimeter threats that they've had in past years, and that's, that's really kind of their Achilles heel because they don't really have anybody that can stretch the field out. But Anthony Richardson is a weapon. Make no mistake about it. Uh, Florida has played a lot of teams tough. These games have been close. Uh, teams have kind of worn them down eventually, and, and I think a lot of people think that's what's going to happen in this game, 22 points. I don't know if you're a betting person or not, but that seems like a lot. But then again, you know, George has won these games by an average of 22 in the four wins they've had in the last five years. So uh, going to be an interesting game in Jacksonville. I've heard there might be some uh, some high wins down there. You wonder how that might affect the past game and kind of keeps the teams on the ground, how that could affect things. But Kirby Smart, very complimentary. Well, Brenton Cox as well, of course, former Bulldog and, you know, a guy that's had multiple sack seasons down there. And Kirby says he might be the most disruptive guy. Uh, in the leagues and really likes Florida's interior defensive line. They're very good at taking away the a gap, you know, right there, right next to the center guard area and plugging up the interior runs. You don't see Georgia run a whole lot between the tackles anyway, um, but that's food for thought. And it makes you wonder a little bit how the Gators defensive front might affect the Georgia game plan. Georgia already a team that likes to go on the perimeter or at least they have been. So, uh, but Kirby very complimentary of the Gators, you know, last week, we talked about it just a little bit. And when Kirby was asked about Jacksonville and his thoughts, and for some reason, both Georgia and Florida put out a joint release today that, you know, they haven't decided anything on the game. Well, we know that. We know the contract runs through 2023. And I've told you many times on the show, they're not going to make any decision until there's a 12-team playoff. And once there's a 12-team playoff, you're going to see a nine-game conference schedule. And once there's a nine-game conference schedule, then you'll see a potential rotation, whether it's two cities, three cities, four cities. That's when they can get into a more permanent situation. 
My thought is you might be having it in Athens in 2024 because Jacksonville's NFL stadium has some renovation work ahead of it. And, and that was what one of the Jacksonville organized organizers was talking about last summer. So um, nothing news really happening on it. It was kind of interesting today that Christopher Smith and Stetson Bennett both said that they'd like to play in the swamp. They'd like that opportunity. Obviously they're both seniors. It won't happen for them. Uh, but players like the challenge. They like going on the road and playing in another team stadium and, and both Christopher Smith and Stetson Bennett today said they like they'd like that opportunity. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I know there's a lot of outspoken Georgia fans all over the map. The people that go to Jacksonville love Jacksonville. Wouldn't trade it for anything. Fight fiercely for it. The Jacksonville merchants, they you know they go out of their way. They make so much money. I believe the economic impact of that game is probably, gosh, if it was 35 million in 2018, if if inflation's 10 percent. Uh, you know, or more, 10 to 15% since then. I mean, this game's probably approaching 50 million in economic impact. Um, extremely valuable to the Jacksonville community. So that's something to keep kind of your ear to the ground on. Nothing's been decided. There's there's nothing anybody's hiding. I know that. I've talked to enough people at Georgia to know um, that that has not been decided yet. Uh, but it is interesting to hear kind of the winds blowing and, and people talking about possibilities. I think the bye week was good for Kirby. I like the way he runs it. He gave his, his players off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, kids were able to, you know, get away, hit the reset button. I think that's important. Um, I liked it when they had that Thursday practice. You saw him have ice cream and funnel cakes afterward. Kirby kind of breaking up the monotony uh, a little bit. Um, good feelings right now in the Georgia clubhouse. I think this team's in a really good place. Uh, I think Stetson Bennett's very relaxed. You know, he was asked today by Emily Gagnon, one of the Atlanta television reporters, if, you know, if it's really starting to sink in that this is it. And he said, no, not really. I mean, Stetson, Stetson, right? I mean, that's part of what Kirby loves about him. He's the guy who just doesn't get rattled. He just doesn't overthink it. Not going to overthink it. Not going to put any extra pressure on himself. Uh, so that's why I said, I think Georgia is in a very, very good place. Some other interesting games this weekend, one of them, uh, South Carolina, Missouri, be real interested to see what happens there after South Carolina beat Texas A&M. And, you know, Shane Beamer hasn't lost a game since that 48-6 defeat to Georgia way back the third week of the season. How about that? Dan Lanning and Oregon have not lost a game since the 49-3 loss to Georgia in the season opener. So a couple of former Kirby assistants that are doing really well. Sam Pittman and, and Arkansas back in action this week at Auburn after a bye week for the Razorbacks. Uh, and Mel Tucker, another former Kirby assistant, he had a bye last week as well. Uh, he and Michigan State will be playing Michigan in this upcoming weekend. Some news on the Alabama, or excuse me, the Georgia-Tennessee game. It will be a 3.30 game. So Georgia continues to grab that prime slot in the afternoon, that prime CBS slot, puts the dogs in a lot of households. I know there's a lot of people that want a night game that, that, that are at home and prefer to watch it at night on TV. But from a recruiting standpoint, uh, there's no doubt that having that afternoon game is, is a good thing, especially when you think about that Tennessee game, how many important visitors are going to be there. Vols have to get through Kentucky on Saturday. Uh, and to, to secure this top five matchup, if Georgia and Tennessee both win, you could have one versus two conceivably, probably one versus three more than likely. Um, but boy, when's the last time we saw a one three game? I guess I better do the research on that and, and, and talk about that next week. But right now it's, it's a lot of Gator talk. It's all about Georgia. Kirby's won four out of the last five. 
Uh, they're not overlooking them. This team is dialed in. They understand the importance of this game for Georgia's. They look to keep that undefeated season going. Now, second half of the show, we're going to have Jeremy Pruitt. And I love having Coach Pruitt on. Um, you know, love his insights as a former uh, Nick Saban assistant coach, Kirby Smart peer. I worked under Kirby on Kirby's defensive staff at Alabama for six years. Uh, was a head coach in the league at Tennessee and, and his coordinator time at Florida State and Georgia as well is really invaluable. Um, you know, you're listening to an expert. I mean, he's a guy that paid a lot of money to talk football and has done it a long time. Um, so really looking forward to Jeremy's second half of the show. I always enjoy your comments. Put your comments under the story. I like to respond to them and see what you're thinking, see what you're talking about. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are starting to really get checked in on Georgia saying, you know what, man, maybe they really could win the national championship. Right now, according to Circus Sportsbook, Ohio State is the odds on favorite to win the title. Georgia's second, second favorite to win the national title. Is that not amazing, the job that Kirby Smart has done? They had a couple mid-season All-American teams that got released last week. Only one Georgia player made the AP and USA Today midseason, Christopher Smith. Soldier Chris, as he goes by. Think about that. For all the success George has had, they've only got one midseason All-American. Tells you about the kind of job that Kirby Smart and his staff are doing here in Athens, Georgia. Right now, I want to take a moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. You talk about uh, folks that are doing a great job and folks that you can count on and consistent winners. Well, that's Ingles. Let's take a moment and recognize Ingles. And when we come back, Jeremy Pruitt. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the second half of the show. Mike Griffith here. And in just a moment, promise we're going to get to Jeremy Pruitt. But I want to show you this take I had on the SEC network. You heard me say the first half of the show that I was pretty fired up about field storming. I let Paul Feinbaum and the folks at the SEC know that last week. Check this out. This field storming's got to stop. This has got to stop. This is way overboard. There have been people, I researched, there's been people that have had their skulls fractured. There's been people crushed in Camp Randall. There's been, there was deaths. There was 120 people killed in Indonesia earlier this month. This isn't the time for a thousand people to get on the field. And you have to understand that these athletes, it, it, you know, they're the caged lion, right? I remember after the, the Miami Ohio State game, Paul, in the national title game in the Fiesta Bowl, there was a Miami linebacker who was shedding tears in defeat and a photographer ran in front of him and got punched. I mean, these guys need to cool off. And again, I'm not justifying anything. What that what happened was wrong. But you have to protect the players from the fans and the fans from the players. I was at Georgia when a Coke bottle hit Coach Fulmer's assistant, uh, Gerald Harrison. He's an AD now in Middle Tennessee. I mean, bad things happen, and this has got to stop, and it's not excusable. The SEC has to get serious about this. We're very fortunate that this wasn't something much more serious. Think about this. In today's world, you see, you're reading the same headlines I am about New York and subways, and you got 100,000 people. Are there metal detect? A lot of bad things can happen. Somebody needs to pay very close attention to this and get the security to act like security. I, I get it. It's a tradition. It's fun. But we're in an era now, Paul, where this has to stop before something tragic happens. 
Well, welcome back to the show. And now, as promised, Jeremy Pruitt joined us. Coach, appreciate you being here, as always, every Monday night on Eagles on the Beat. And uh, a lot of football to talk about from last weekend, certainly a lot to talk about this coming week. But some big picture some big picture items before we uh, dive into the, some of the games. I want to start out with the uh, the whole field storm thing. You know, when, when Tennessee beat Alabama, uh, certainly you understand the ramifications of that and, and how big that was for Tennessee. But not it, it's not just happening at Tennessee. It happened at LSU. Uh, and, and it's happened, uh, you know, last year it happened about 30 times all over America. This year, and we saw an incident with a player, uh, Jermaine Burton, it's being talked about, discussed. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, man, I've not been a part – of a field being stormed. I believe you have uh, as a player and maybe, maybe I guess as a coach as well. First of all, tell me from a coach's perspective, I mean, what's that like when you're trying to get yourself, your players off the field and, and fans are storming? Well, you know, I don't know if I've ever been a part of it as a coach, but I can remember being a part of it as a player in 1996. We lost, I was playing in Alabama. We lost in Starkville to Mississippi state and there was probably 55,000 fans there at that point in time. I think that's probably all that the stadium held in, in Starkville. But, um, I mean, it's dangerous. Uh, just be frank. Just, there's that many people running around. There's a reason that they kind of keep everybody separated. Um, do I have an answer how to keep people off the field? I do not. But I do know that when you got that many fans rushing the field, um, you know, I mean, because the one thing that can happen, you can control the people on the field when I'm talking about the players, the coaches, the support staff, right? The universities, they can control the people that have sideline passes and access to the sideline. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you let the fans onto the field, the universities have no control of, of what, say, ever how many thousands of people that is. They have no control of what their actions could possibly be. So, uh I think you're just really asking for it, uh, for situations to come up. Yeah, I, I always wonder, you see the coach jogging off and, you know, you've had those state troopers around you and protection, whatnot. And, you know, you, I'm sure you heard plenty of things from in the stands and your players and all that. I guess I just, part of me just thinks to myself, man, you know, not just the goalposts coming down. I know people have been hitting the head and skulls been crushed, but just the way players have this level of emotion. I think back to the 2002 championship game with uh, Miami and uh, Ohio State, and one of the Miami linebackers hit a photographer. They got too close to him, and I, I just think you know, there's just a different level of intensity. That that cool down period, um, you know, there, there's a reason for it. Again, you experienced it as a player, and I, I was at that game in Starkville too when they they took the goalpost down. It was kind of a crazy. I don't know that they'd beaten Alabama in Starkville uh, in quite some time before that game. I'm trying to remember the streak that was broken, but uh, it came to mind just because it's, it seems prevalent in the fines, the 100000 or 250000 seems like a lot. But for these you know schools that get paid $45 to $50 million in TV revenue, doesn't seem to be effective. Just one of those deals where I just think, man. This is something that could elevate and, and get really bad before it gets better. I want to reflect on last weekend's games. Obviously, uh, Georgia was off. Uh, we saw that uh, Florida was off as well. 
Tennessee kind of, you know, gets a win over UT Martin, puts up a lot of points. What, what does a game like that really do for a team? I think you might have even played Martin one of those years. When you're when you're playing that kind of game and uh, leading up to a bigger game, like I think I believe Tennessee plays Kentucky, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but what are you trying to get out of that game? What's the value of that game for Tennessee? Well, I think keeping the momentum going, uh, which I feel like Tennessee did. Uh, you look how they played the first half. <clears throat> they obviously jumped on them, and they got to play a lot of – uh, younger guys to possibly create depth and give them opportunities. So I'm sure there's a lot of kids that have earned that right. And they were, I'm sure the coaching staff was happy to give them an opportunity to do that. But, you know, the, the one thing as a, as a program, you know, these schedules are made 10, 15 years ago, right? So you have no control over who you play. That was made years ago. So all you can do is, is get ready to play each week and, I think uh, particularly just Tennessee this past week was a credit to them. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the game, uh, but I saw the, the, some highlights there. So um, it it seems like the the players there, Hendon Hooker, Jalen Height, they kind of kept on, kept some momentum from the week before. Yeah. That's the name of the game. Alabama back on track, by the way, really impressive home win over Mississippi state. You got to go all the way back to coach uh, Saban's first year at Alabama uh, to have back-to-back loss. I believe you might have been the director. Were you the director of football operations or high school relations? I was high school relations, yes. Um, you were on that first Nick Saban staff. Uh, you were a part of all that. I mean, uh, let me go ahead and take a trip down memory lane. And now that I just remember that, what what was that first, that first Saban staff being a part of that? What was that like when he's trying to get the program uh, off the ground? Kirby, by the way, was at Georgia that first year. Um uh, I believe that first year with Mark Richt, and he came year two, if I'm not mistaken. But no, Kirby was, Kirby was, Kirby was, was he on that staff? First year, yes. Kevin Steele, Kirby Smart, Bo Davis, and Lance Thompson was the defensive staff. Okay, well, what am I thinking? He might he was he was he got separated from anyway. What was that first staff like there? Well, it was interesting because uh, you had Kirby, um, and I'm not sure you had anybody else who had ever actually worked with Coach Saban. Um, so. Um, there's a, you know, and he's very defined in how he wants things done, but you only have so many hours in the day, uh, just trying to figure out exactly how he wanted to put it together. So, uh, we spent a lot of times in meetings and when coach Saban went home, we spent a lot of time after he went home trying to figure out exactly how he wanted it to be done. How far into that first year do you think people started to realize that it had been quote unquote turned around? Well, you know, we we actually started off that year uh, pretty well. We ended up getting beat by Georgia in overtime uh, to a good Georgia team. Uh, I think, uh, and uh, and then we ended up losing to uh, Mississippi State. We lost to uh, Louisiana Monroe. Lost to Auburn. Uh, we kind of we didn't play as well down the stretch. Uh, end up six and six and won a bowl game against Colorado, uh, which was a huge deal. Uh, at that time to have a winning record, um, you know, and so, but there was a lot of, there was a huge foundation laid in that season of expectations. Uh, and there was a, there was a, a <clears throat> probably a, a decent core of players. If you go back and look who was on the, the 2009 national championship team, um, a lot of those guys were inherited, the guys who, who were starters and, uh, over the next two years, you know, you had guys like Julio Jones and Dante Hightower. Um, 
um, Dre Kirkpatrick, guys that helped kind of solidify the group, but um, really just kind of building the foundation uh, started with that year. Yeah, it was exciting. I was, I never remember what I was thinking. Kirby wasn't the defensive coordinator the first year. He was on the staff. I think it was the second year he got promoted to that position. So current Alabama avoids losing back-to-back regular season games for what would have been the first time since that first season. Uh, and, and what do we make of a 30-6 win over Mississippi State? I, I think that was the first touchdown that Mike Leach had scored on Saban in three years. I mean, here's Mike Leach, this offensive guru, and he and needed the last play of the game to do it. But what do we make of Bama getting back on track? Well, I think if you looked at that game, I think uh, Mississippi State helped them a lot. I think Mississippi State actually outgained Alabama. They just gave Alabama short fields by going far on their own side of the of the 50-yard line. Um, you know, uh, if you, you look at it, the way Alabama played them, they, they played with five guys in the box the whole day. And Almost every time Mississippi State ran the football, they gained four or five yards. They just didn't stay with it. Um, and, you know, Alabama um, took advantage of the short fields. Yeah, Bryce Young, great quarterback. A, a game that uh, that you talked about, uh, eager to see, was South Carolina and Texas A&M. And sure enough, South Carolina beat Texas A&M for the first time in their program history, their annual East and West Division rivals. Uh, Shane Beamer now has won four games in a row. Jimbo Fisher now has lost three games in a row. Uh, I mean, what a what an incredible scene in Columbia, South Carolina. They were up 17 to zero before you could blink. It, it looks like a lot of momentum here. And um, and for Jimbo Fisher, I man, I I don't know what to say or think about this. I couldn't have imagined a scenario where AM would lose three games in a row. Coach, your thoughts? Well, I I, I go back to the quarterback position, okay. Uh, I don't think Texas A&M is as far off as a lot of people believe. Uh, if you take Bryce Young and you go put him in College Station, what's Texas A&M's record right now? Uh, right. And that's not taking anything away from the guys that are playing quarterback at Texas A&M. Uh, you take Hendon Hooker and put him in College Station, what's, what's their record right now? Um, so that's how important that position is. Uh, Texas A&M has, has struggled keeping their quarterback healthy. Um, you know, they've lost some close games, uh, but, you know, they've got good, they got a good coaching staff there. Uh, they've got good players there. Um, they got to find a way to get over the hump and they've got to be able to play around uh, that position right now. You know, Haynes King gets hurt in the game Saturday. They're playing, uh, you know, another young man. I think it was his first time he'd played this year. Uh, South Carolina runs opening kickoff back. You know, it takes some of those things like that. Uh, and, and give South Carolina credit. They kind of rode the momentum there and and found a way to close the game out in the second half. It's one of those games, it sounds like if they played 10 times, you'd probably take AM 7 or 8 out of 10, like you talked about the Florida uh, Utah game earlier this year, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 I think if you look at the yardage, it was pretty even, you know, so it's not much difference in those two teams. I think uh, playing at South Carolina at night was a huge advantage for South Carolina. Um, and, you know, so that, that's just kind of the way the schedule falls sometimes. It's interesting. Now AM goes home. They'll be playing an old Miss team that'll be coming off their first loss. They go down there to LSU and grab a big lead early. And then Brian Kelly and, and Jaden Daniels and company just come storming back. I, you know, old Miss had, I hadn't seen that out of that old Miss defense. At one point earlier this year, they were among the nation's leader in points allowed. Um, you know, I, I guess this surprised me a little bit that old Miss would have a lead 
and then lose it like that? Is, is this a product of uh, playing on the road in the SEC, or do you think Brian Kelly and, and Jaden Daniels just have that sort of punch to them? Well, I think if you look at Ole Miss's strength of schedule at the first half of the year, you know, they played a lot of non-conference games. Uh, you know, they, they beat Kentucky, but it was a game that Kentucky kind of had control of. Um, you know, and, and give, give Brian Kelly and his staff credit. You know, think about how they started the year off uh, against Florida State. Um, then they played Tennessee and, you know, was really kind of struggled early on. Tennessee jumps on them, but they've kind of stayed the course here and they, they played themselves into a chance to – they control their own destiny in the West. Yeah, it's hard to believe we're sitting here talking about an LSU-Alabama game in a couple of weeks that could determine the West, but but that's exactly where we're at. You know, now looking forward to this week, I, I want to start with with Georgia, Florida. Georgia, 22-point favorite, and my goodness, they've never been favored by that much. I mean, this is a rivalry game, and again, you've never seen it tilted one way this far. Uh, but, but before we talk about the game and the X's and O's, you know, you were on staff at Georgia – uh, a couple years there. And so you understand this rivalry as well as anybody you've, you've recruited to the rivalry. You've been uh, on other coaching staffs at Florida state um, as well as Alabama and Tennessee that, that maybe took advantage of, of Georgia, not having that extra home game. Um, people say it's only a 25 minute flight, you know, or a 30 minute flight. And it's, it's, it's really not a disadvantage in terms of the travel preparations or the, you know, the fact that Florida gets on a bus and goes 70 miles. What, what is the real deal? Is there a difference between flying and bussing and just bussing straight over? Was there any disadvantage from that perspective? Um, I don't know if there's a disadvantage from that perspective. I, to me, I, I just look at the, <clears throat> the recruiting aspect you know, it's one of the marquee games every year for Georgia is playing Florida and likewise for Florida also, right? Uh, and not having the opportunity to play it in your home stadium. Uh, you know, as a player, you know, we we played uh, Auburn every year in, at Legion Field. Uh, and I tell you what, there's, there's nowadays, like the kids that play in this game, I, if you told them you were going to play the game in Legion Field, they'd probably look at you like you're crazy, you know. So right. it's one of the things that you can really test yourself as an, if you're on the Alabama team or staff and you go to Jordan-Hare and play, and likewise coming come to uh, Tuscaloosa and play, and it'd be the same way. I mean, imagine uh, Florida coming to game, I mean, coming to Athens and then uh, the Georgia going to Gainesville. So, um it's a unique perspective. I get the tradition. It's an awesome tradition. I love, I love to to be able to say that I was a part of that. I had a chance to coach in that game. Never was on the winning side, unfortunately. But uh, you know, when you talk about history and you talk about Georgia, Florida, uh, you know the the what is it the the biggest cocktail party and world's and largest the, cocktail party, world's largest cocktail party. And let me tell you, it is a cocktail party. There's a lot of a lot of fun to be had that week. But I think from a standpoint of recruiting it's easier to to have an opportunity it gives you an extra extra weekend to recruit in your home stadium well and you've also been uh obviously in Sanford Stadium but you've been at the swamp uh you've been there I'm trying to think if when you played at Bama I don't, don't think that Bama played there in 96 but you've been through the swamp as a coach what about that environment a lot of Georgia fans have never been there and then I guess I would just ask you as a player about winning in an opposing stadium versus a neutral site. There were a couple of Georgia players today, Stetson Bennett 
and uh, Chris Smith that said, you know, we, we'd like the opportunity to play in an opponent's stadium. Uh, what would you tell folks about the Swamp and about the value of a road game uh, for a football player? Well, that tells you a little bit just the competitive nature of those guys. Uh, you know, there's nothing like going on the road in the SEC and and, and winning a football game. You know, it's, it's, it's your – you know, 75 people that are counting the coaching staff, 100 people that get on the bus or planes or whatever against usually almost 100,000. Right. Uh, so uh, to go in there and, and take the momentum away from the home crowd, uh, it's it's a huge deal, huge feeling of accomplishment to go on the road and win in, in any league, not, not just the SEC in any league. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, a lot of great football games I've seen, a lot of good uh, Tennessee-Florida games at the Swamp and back in Neyland Stadium. And I saw Auburn win there a couple of times with Terry Bowden and uh, Steve Spurrier works some magic. So, I, you know, the Swamp to me is one of the better venues. I know that fan bases don't necessarily say they don't like this city or that city, but I just think to myself, gosh, they're – you know, there's rowdy fans everywhere. I just like the different, you know, the different stadiums and uh, traditions and whatnot that you pick up. So about this game, you know, last year, this is a three to zero game with about three minutes left in the first half. And in fact, if you look at the final numbers, Florida actually outgained Georgia by a yard in this game. Um, the matchup here, does it matter what happened last year? Does that will that will, will Florida grab some confidence from last year and say, you know what? You know, we, we played those guys even except for that three-minute period. Is Or does all that get thrown aside? And then I guess I'd ask you, Anthony Richardson, you know, he can reflect. That was his first start. He's a year older. Um, does last year's game play any sort of role, any benefit to either team? And I guess what are some things that jump out at you about this year's matchup? No, it's it's a new year. Uh, it's a new year. Uh, anything that's happened in the past will have no bearing on this year. Um I think we'll see what we've kind of seen when uh, Florida has played good teams uh, this year. Uh, they'll be competitive early. Uh, they'll need they'll need to make some turnovers or get some breaks in the kicking game uh, to stay in the game. Uh, and to me, that would be uh, I could see where uh, Billy Napier tries to uh, uh, slow the game down, uh, try to get it to halftime, try to get it to the to the fourth quarter and, and, and keep it within a one score game uh, to give themselves a chance. Uh, but I, I believe that uh, what we'll see is we'll see a very competitive game, uh, two well-coached teams, but uh, I, I believe that Georgia will eventually, like they've done with a lot of teams, they'll lean on them. And, uh, you know, and the, the second half will be all, all Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I would agree with you. And you, you you called that trend very early when you saw Florida play Utah. You felt like even before that game that maybe Florida's defensive depth was a question mark, and it absolutely has haunted the Gators throughout the season. Another interesting game is going to be taking place in Knoxville. They're going to be honoring some championship teams up there. Uh, I know I talked with uh, Doug Dickey, a former AD, and I believe Coach Fulmer will be up there as well as they take on Kentucky at home. And, you know, I know the Vols are the number one offense in the country, 570 yards a game. And I know they're number nine or tied for eighth in the country and stopping to run it all looks good. But, gee, Coach, it, it seems to me if you were going to build a team and a style to beat the Vols, it might be the way Mark Stoops in Kentucky plays. You want to elaborate on what we, th what we might see in this matchup? Well, it's going to be really interesting to me to see how Kentucky plays defensively uh, because this is going to be – you see Alabama – played Tennessee last year, and 
uh, Alabama didn't improve on their side of the ball in defense. You know, uh, Tennessee took advantage of, of Alabama there. And then Kentucky, okay, uh, you know, I felt like Kentucky struggled a little bit to stop Tennessee last year, especially early on. Tennessee jumped on them, uh, had a chance to win the game at the end of the game, probably got uh, – maybe they didn't make a call that possibly could have helped Kentucky there get in field goal range. But uh, to me, I want to see how Coach Stoops and his staff, what kind of changes do they make to slow Hendon Hooker and this uh, Tennessee offense down? Um, you know, if if they can do that, uh, you know, they, they've got a chance. But I'm, I'm really going to question whether or not Kentucky can keep up with Tennessee. You know, right now on an off day, Tennessee's scoring 35 points. Can Kentucky score 35 points? I don't think so. I might be wrong there because I believe Tennessee's defense has really improved from last year. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting. I think Kentucky, again, is going to need – they're going to need turnovers. Uh, you know, you look back a couple of years ago when they, they beat Tennessee up there when I was the head coach, they scored twice on defense. It's a huge deal. Uh, and they have some breaks like that. I think it's going to take that uh, for them to have a chance to upset Tennessee. I know a lot of the defensive game plans are built around your personnel and who you have and what you do really well. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. You're you're a noted uh, defensive guru. Uh, of course, Coach Donnan was talking you up last week a little bit. Um, what is the challenge, you know, in layman's terms? And I know there's a, there's a different level of sophistication that, you know, you would talk about in the coaches' offices. But, you know, to explain it to, you know, uh, you know fans and, and guys like me in the media that follow it pretty closely, what is the challenge with, with what Tennessee does and offensively? And what are some of the concepts that, you know, how would you go about it? Because typically I always think about whether a team's playing press man or whether they're laying back and keeping everything in front of them and pace of play. And I think to myself, what are some different things? I know an old Alabama coach told me that Bill Brother Oliver, one of your mentors, you know, he'd have had 11 Crimson Tide players laying on that guy a long time. So, you know, the officials would have to slow it down. You know, they'd be dogpiling on every tackle to slow that deal down is one of the little tricks maybe Alabama used to do. But what are some concepts uh, when you look at that offense that you think you, you, you would have to do or what would challenge you? Well, I think the first thing, if you just look at what Tennessee does, number one, they, they run the football. That, that's one of the things that they – for them to have success, they need to be able to run the football uh, and, and force you to have to, to have to put another guy in the box so they can get one-on-one matchups. Uh, so I think they do a really nice job of trying to do that and stay committed. Uh, I think against them you've got to stop the run. Um, and then if you look at them, is Cedric Tillman playing? You know, uh, if Cedric Tillman is not playing – Obviously, the guy that they've been trying to get the ball to is Jalen Hyatt. You know, uh, to me, uh, is there a way that you can take him away? You know, make somebody else beat you. So uh, not to say that Tennessee don't have other players that can beat you. But right now, if you look as they've kind of uh, – I just go back to the Alabama game. Uh, the run game, hitting hooker on scrambles and, and Jalen Hyatt. Uh, you know, the guy catches six passes for five touchdowns. Um, and it's interesting, his dad called me the day before the game, and he asked me, he said, uh, do you think Alabama will, will double-team Jalen? I said, I, I think they probably will, uh, but they didn't, and you see right. what happened. Uh, so um, I think they got you got to find a way to take him away, and it's hard because he's he can get over the top, and, and I think Tennessee does a nice job moving him around. They use the motion game, cross the ball motion, 
Is he at number one? Is he at number two? Is he at number three? So they move him around. They do a nice job with that. So you pay it. You stop. You start out stopping the run. We always all these uh, saving pro. It always starts out with stopping the run. Really, all the great defense coordinators I've talked to, they always want to make the team one dimensional. And easier said than done, to your point. But if you don't do that, you're right. You're you're playing behind the. They're they're playing ahead of the sticks all day, and that makes run pass conflict. As Todd Munkin told us, you know that really is tough on the defense when they're ahead of the sticks and you don't know if it's a run or a pass. So it's interesting, though. I I I, I I'm sure at some point, uh, coach, we're going to see you back up in the box. You probably have a chance to go against this offense at one point or another in the next couple of few years. Uh, any other games jump? I see we see at Arkansas at Auburn. I mean, my goodness, we we think we know that what's done is done at Auburn. But the Auburn Tigers, you know, pretty game effort at Ole Miss. Sam Pittman thought he had a pretty good team coming back. Schedule undid him. Uh, any thoughts on what we might see between the Razorbacks and the Auburn Tigers on the Plains? You know, um, <clears throat> I think this will be a very close game. Uh, again, I, I believe it's hard to win in Jordan-Hare. And, um, <clears throat> but Auburn's got to get back to playing good defense. You look at them when they played Ole Miss, hey, how do you rush for over 300 yards, which Auburn did against Ole Miss and lose by two touchdowns? <laughs> so uh, they, they've got to find their defense. Uh, I think they really – they need, like South Carolina, used their fan base the other night to help them win against Texas A&M. Uh, Auburn, Auburn needs the Auburn family to come together. Uh, <clears throat> whether you – on ever, and there's no secret here. Uh, the, the, the national media has tried to create a side with Brian Harson. He's the coach at Auburn University right now. And everybody that supports Auburn needs to get behind him and support him uh, and, and whoever the coach is and stick together. Uh, those, those young men that decided to go to Auburn – they went there because of the Auburn family, and it can be special. And anybody that's coached against Auburn or coached at Auburn, uh, you see it, you feel it, uh, and these young men deserve it. So maybe they'll get behind them this weekend, and we'll have a great ball game uh, between Auburn and Arkansas. If they do, I like Auburn. That's interesting. Oh, that's now that's that's an interesting pick. A lot of people got Auburn dead and buried. No, that's an I'm not going to bury them just yet. No, I, I can't either. Every time I think they're dead, they, they keep I keep looking up the scoreboard. They're not going away yet. Missouri and South Carolina, you know, South Carolina coming off a really big win, obviously over AM. It's a 4 p.m. game, kind of an afternoon game there in Columbia. Uh Missouri it survives Vanderbilt, a much closer game than many expected. Um, thoughts on a game like this? Uh, again, this is I, – I see South Carolina, I don't know what you would call them, kind of like a scavenger team. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to find a way to – they're winning some ball games, but it's not really pretty, and that's okay. Uh, but they're going to have to find a way this week. Last week they run uh, back a kickoff. They blocked some punts uh, to help them, uh, you know, with special teams. So they, they need to find another way to create some momentum in, in, in the special teams game. They really need to win the turnover battle. Um, <clears throat> you know, Missouri will run the football. Uh, I think Coach Trinkowitz does a nice job of formation and getting in there and run the football. And um, they're gonna they're gonna play on press man. Uh, Missouri will on 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 the defensive side of the ball and make them create tight windows. We saw that early in the year versus Georgia. Uh, so Missouri's plenty capable. Uh, I think this is going to be a very close game that'll probably come down to the end, uh, which will be special teams and turnovers. Yeah, yeah, the games come down to that. You think that might favor South Carolina? We'll see. They've been, like you said, Shane Beamer, ever since they lost 
Georgia have not lost a game since. And uh, Freddie Kitchens there is an analyst. I think that Freddie behind the scenes helping Spencer Rattler out as he continues to improve from week to week. Coach Pruitt, really appreciate you joining us next week. It's, you know, we're, we're really going to need to put that coaching hat on next week. You know, it's, it's crazy to think that the Tennessee game is overshadowing Georgia and Florida. I, I guarantee it's not in Buttsmere Heritage Hall, but for a lot of the fans, uh, that's starting to look like a top five matchup. A lot of people are saying, oh, man, we can't wait to hear what Coach Pruitt has to say that week. We'll keep that one. We'll keep that one under that. And maybe Kirby Smart's winning edge. I'll give you that hand. He's got a winning edge that Coach Pruitt told me. He's going to tell me about next week. You're going to really enjoy that one. So I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight on the Ingles on the Beach show. I want to thank Jeremy Pruitt every week, his expertise and insights. Uh, can't get that anywhere else. Does a tremendous job. I really appreciate Coach joining us. I want to thank you for joining us. Don't forget, Wednesday night, Jeff Santel uh, does his Before the Hedges show. And every day, Brandon Adams has Dog Nation Daily at 10 a.m. Then Friday night, we make our picks at 7 p.m. on the Go With The Flow show. So, uh, everyone, I want you to have a great weekend. Enjoy the game in Jacksonville.